Three, two, one, let's go! Okay, so this is a sort of a different one, but it's going to be fun. You know, sometimes when I say it's different, it's like, let's talk about baseball. And I'm sure people are like, oh, I don't care, because that one definitely didn't get as many listens as uh, the regular ones, because it's not specifically about language, but whatever. This one's different because I, um, I'm i really just talking to a, a friend I haven't talked to in a long time. Um, not like my friend from Keith from the baseball thing, who moved away, but I still talk to pretty often, but... Uh, my friend Nadia, who is a language teacher in Canada, uh, but we met as language teachers in Korea, and we're sort of going to talk about our language teacher path, right? Some of the issues in, in my book, my ideas, um, and honestly, I want to hear from her, you know, teaching at the level she teaches at in, in, in Canada. So, should be a fun conversation. Um, always try to bring in new perspectives. And honestly, I it fits the theme of the show where I don't bring in people who have a ton of power, but people who are parts of the system and what we can do about it. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Um, as ever, I thank you for listening. Uh, and, you know, buy the book. It's, uh, it's out there. It's going to stay out there. I've got a meeting coming up soon about a follow-up book. So the more of these you buy the better the follow-up book might be. Otherwise, uh, this will be the first episode of the new year, so Happy New Year. And I uh, hope 2023 is as good for you as possible. Oh yeah, I didn't say the name of the show. <laughs> this is Unstandardized English. <laughs> My name is J.P. Gerald. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not very good at staying on topic. Now play the music. Just a, a brief FYI here, folks. Um, there's a couple of audio issues here. The guests, internet cut out twice. Um, there's going to be like a couple of times when it drops out for like five seconds. You'll be okay. All right, folks. So as you all know, we're on Unstandardized English here. Uh, I'm here with my friend Nadia Halal. She's going to explain, you know, where she is, where she is professionally, some of the things that she's done in the language space, but mostly it's nice to talk to you, Nadia. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So uh, we met each other 14 years ago, um, which wow. is interesting to think about, uh, like more than 14 years ago, because it was like the summer. Uh, so, you know, we can talk about that later, but before we get into that, Tell the folks, you know, some of the work you've done in the language space. I, uh, me saying 14 years ago means people listening know that means I knew you in Korea. But, yeah, to catch us up on the, the teachings. Yeah, well, uh, that was my first uh, ever teaching gig. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so. Yeah, and I didn't really go there in the intention to become a teacher. Really, It was more like to just travel and just, you know changed my life. I was working at a bank. I wasn't happy and I just needed a change of pace. So I, I wanted to travel. I didn't expect to fall in love with teaching. And um, that that was a, an, you know, unexpected uh, result. And so when I came for service jobs, um, I couldn't go back to those jobs, so I had to uh, figure out a way to go into teaching, but, like, no one would take me. I didn't have a Bachelor of Education. I had a Bachelor of Arts in uh, Creative Writing and uh, Spanish Literature, minor, um, but that wasn't, that was, like, no. At best, I could be a sub, like a substitute teacher, but uh, that's not what I wanted, so I did whatever job I could get in teaching, I got, but it was, like, after-school programs, lunchtime monitors, you know. And then I realized, okay, well, you know, you got to do, you got to like, if this is what you love, you know, at this age, you got to like follow it, whatever, pursue it. So I went back to school. I did a bachelor of education and um, then I felt like, I felt like, well, since I'm already at school, I might as well extend that to a master's of education. Um, 
And at some point I even thought about doing, you know, even taking that further as you have, but I, I just wanted to, after that time, I just wanted to work. I really just wanted to work. And then I thought I can always revisit that later. Um, and which I still haven't, and I still intend to, by the way. Um, but I, uh, I started uh, looking for jobs and it wasn't easy. It, it, I live in Canada, by the way. I don't know if your listeners know I, that. I know. Yeah. I don't know if they know. Yeah. But yeah. And, um, English teachers are like a dime a dozen. What's hard to find here are French teachers. Um, so I kept getting job offers in French and I didn't want to. I'm like, I, I can teach French. I can speak French well. But I do not, I did not, nor do I still not want to uh, teach in French. So I was told, Nadia, you're going to be a sub for a long time before you get an English job. You know, your best bet is to move to Ontario or the U.S. or overseas or somewhere else, you know. So I was like, okay, well, no way I'm going to. Um, uh, I looked into uh, many countries and then I settled on England because I have a, I'm actually born in Scotland. So I had a, it was easy for me. I didn't need to get a visa or anything. I just applied for, you know, jobs at several agencies and I got one. And next thing you know, I was living in England, teaching English in a public high school. And I did that for three years. Um, Great experience, uh, very hard, very tough. Uh, it uh, it basically made me glad that I had my master's at that point, and I thought, well, I can always teach in college, you know, someday. And then when I moved back to Canada, I did just that. I applied to several colleges, and I got one. Uh, I got an English teaching job in a college, and I've been there ever since. So that's like about six years now. College, but you mean college like university or the different meaning of college? No, you guys say university. Mean, no, no. For us, it's college. It's a period in between high school and university. It's a two-year period. Not not every, like, obviously the U.S. doesn't have it. Most Canadian provinces don't have it. It's a thing unique to Quebec, which is uh, the, the province where I currently live. Um, but it's 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 even being put into question as to whether uh, it will last, how long it will last, because uh, more and more high schools, especially private ones, are integrating a grade 12 program um, in their high school. So um, what would follow is them going directly to university and not needing, like bypassing the college system. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's my, I have a friend from, from Quebec, and he, he was telling me about it. That's why I wanted to bring it up, because people may not understand. Um, there's a lot there. I think what's interesting about it is, you know, so many people in our field, it's very itinerant field, you know, yeah. people all over the place, right? And I think there's a lot of directions people can go, whether they start their career, because you started, well, you had a job before that. You were a little bit older than I was. But, uh, you know, it, starting a teaching career, in the same way that I did, almost exactly the same way that I did, right? I don't know exactly where you work in Korea, but I mean, I know what city you, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, the point is they do that and then they can go a couple of directions. They can say, I want to teach, period, in which case they usually go home to get credentials, right? Which is what took you a little, you'd say, oh, I guess I have to go back to school. It took a little bit. I knew I wanted to go back to school after two years in Korea. And I started applying from Korea. And I said, clearly, I'm going to need to come home to go to school. And the funny thing is, it turned out that I actually ended up in an online program, which was based in a New York university, not, not NYU, but a university that's in New York. And so I was like, oh, I didn't even have to go home. <laughs> but I didn't get into that program until I was already home. So yeah. like, I was on an online program, but the campus was like two miles from home. I never went to campus because I had no reason to, but like it was right there. It's just yeah. funny. But anyway, so, but you did the same thing. It just, you know, it was a little, took a little bit longer. Uh, and then there's the people who say, I like this kind of teaching, as in the Korean, like, I would like being the one English speaker around, you know, because it is a certain, I don't know, there's a reverence you get to some extent within there that you lose when you get home because it's not special <laughs> to be an English teacher at home, right? You know, it's not unique. It's not unique there too, but you're still 
a guest English teacher. You're a guest, you know? And it sets people, so people who happen to fall in love with the teaching, which is very different from falling in love with their time there, you know? Because the time there is really, it's fun, right? You travel, you get to go here, and it's like, when I take a five-hour flight now, when I end up in California, I'm still in the same country, <laughs> right? You know, because I went to California a couple times this year. If I take a five-hour flight from Korea, I could be in so many countries. <laughs> well, not that many, because of where it is. I mean, you're probably going to be in China, but you know what I'm saying in five hours. Um, seven hours, you can be in, like, Vietnam. But the point is, you know, that that's just something, you know, and we get that experience just because of the passport we have. You didn't have to have the type of credentials that, that you have to have at home. And it's another thing that a lot of reason people end up back in that lifestyle is because they come home and, like you said, they can't get a regular job in mm-hmm. the fields. You know, I was working at, I came home, I had the money they give you to leave, right? So I had a little bit of time, right? And I didn't want to be a public school teacher here, not because it's bad, but because, like, I wanted to do something different. You know, I didn't just want to do that because then I did. What was the point of going over there to do that? Right. So I said, well, let me look for different jobs. I got a job. I got home in March and started looking around. And I get a job at like a summer program for exchange students from Europe. They're not really exchange. It was just a summer program. Uh, and, you know, it was literally three weeks of work. And it was like a two-hour commute. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and that, and that was basically the, the full extent of employment I had in the, full, in the first year after I got home. I, I worked for three weeks. Well, obviously the two months in the beginning of the year when I was in Korea. But aside from that, I worked for three weeks in 2010, right? And I started grad school, and my intent of going to grad school in this way was like, I want the credentials, but I don't want it to be my whole life the way college. When you go to, sorry, university. When you go to university, that's not necessarily the case, but especially in the United States and a lot of places, you're kind of surrounded but that's your whole life. You know, you live there, you know, all this stuff. And I didn't want that. I wanted something different. So I did that. And then, you know, it just gets to a point where, as you were saying, like, it's hard to pay the rent. You know, it was really hard to pay the rent for those first couple of years. Yeah, I got, I took out some extra, because you can choose, obviously it's different here, to take out loans that help you with living expenses or not. Like, if you don't need help with living expenses, you don't take out that loan. And I took out those loans, and I'm still paying them back. So, uh, or I guess I haven't had to for a while because of the pandemic, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so it's just hard to pay the rent. And I think that it's a big problem in our field. It's also not unintentional. Like, if they wanted us all to have stable careers, it would be possible. Uh, and, yeah, I think that, I don't know. I go back to thinking about the initiation of the overseas teaching thing, not your UK thing, but I mean in Korea, you know, and I always wonder if the way that it starts sets us up for potential failure. Yes, both of us eventually figured it out, but it was not because like we got, we either got lucky, we got, we were good at stuff and we got credentials, but like, you didn't have to do the overseas thing in order to get the credential you got when you got back home. Right. Like you could have just gone straight to school and done that, right? And I wonder if the fact that you don't really have to know anything to go overseas makes it so that you come back and like you had this experience, but you really don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you might. Some people go over there and they have credentials, but like it is not required for you to know anything. To yeah, do I this. I, yeah. I think I took like a TESOL, like a six week TESOL course. I took a one, I took a one week course. <laughs> what? Wow. It was, it was, um, or maybe I think, no, it was two weeks. Uh, and, you know, the only thing we really learned was how to make a lesson plan. Yep. 
which we did not need in Korea. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like, I made, well, I mean, I made lesson plans, but I made, like, one a week, because I taught the same class all week. Like, I taught, you know, I taught, literally, like, they all came to my class once, every week. So, I taught the same thing all week long. I got, it was, it was extremely boring. Uh, until this, the first year, like, cause like, when I wasn't teaching, I would prep, right? And when I first got there, I was like, make these PowerPoints, and just, you know, doing all of this. And then like, after like a month, I was like, alright, this is, why am I doing all this? Like, why am I putting all this into this, right? Uh, I don't mean putting it all into teaching, but I mean lesson planning. You know, like, it's much more about connecting with the, the students. That doesn't mean you don't plan. But then also, after about two months, I had made all of my lessons for the year because I was only one a week. So, like, even if I made 50 lessons, I would have been done. And it doesn't take more than a few months to make 50 lessons. So by May of 20, of 20, 2008, right, which was my thir- third month of teaching, I just got a done lesson planning for the year. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I would tweak them and I would come up with activities and I change them. But like, broadly speaking, I was kind of done. Then I wrote a whole, I wrote a whole novel because in like at work, because I had nothing to do when I wasn't teaching. You know, I, I, remember, hit, yeah. I, I remember you did a, you got your whole class to sing a song. Uh, was it an arcade fire song? I did. I did. I, I did that twice. That's uh, amazing. I, that really. Like, I shared that so many times back in the day. I, I think, it, like, for that time, it was viral, for sure, right? Yeah, I, I, I got, like, a thousand views on YouTube. Um, oh. Back, back, you know, in 2008, that's, like, a lot of views, right? Um, okay. Of course, you know, I used to love Arcade Fire, but now the lead guy's got some allegations and all that, so we're going to go into all that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, this is what I did with my time, is I came up with these creative things to do, and they enjoyed it. And then I realized in the second year, because I decided to stay, because this is like they, like then the economy collapsed when we were there, and I was like, okay, so I'm staying here. <laughs> uh, you know, the um, when I came up with something creative was when I really something cool happened with the students. So I came up with these projects in the second year, and that's when I realized I wanted to stay a teacher. Is when I came up with these projects that people connected with, you know. And I remember walking by the other classes. Specifically the other English classes, because I was not the only English teacher in the school, right? I was teaching in a public school, and, like, they had English teachers. They had an English class since kindergarten, right? Um, they had my class, which was just named after me. Like, on their calendar, it didn't say English. It said Gerald um, <laughs> in Korean, but it said Gerald. And I'm like, all right. Um, and then they had other English classes with the Korean English teachers and all those classes were, were like read from a book, repeat, read from a book, repeat. And the teachers could speak very strong English. It wasn't that it was just that they were told you're going to follow this lesson specifically. And that's it. And I remember a couple of times they had like, um, you know, student teachers come in, which I'm sure happens in every country. And the student teachers would have to, you know, present a lesson, which, that's pretty normal, right? As far as I can tell. But the lesson was, it was much more about a scripted performance for the evaluators, right? Mm-hmm. The evaluators would come in and the students were, would be told beforehand, like to be very you know, orderly, sitting in the rows and everything like that. So I, uh, and you know, they could hit the kids, right? It was technically not allowed, but it happened. Right. And I'm not trying to sit here and throw shade against South Korea like it's some outlier or something like that, because a lot of things we do here are really bad. So I'm not trying to say like, oh, look at these places, because that happened a lot from a lot of the, te- the Western teachers. They'd be like, I can't believe they do this here. And I'm like, do a lot of stuff back home, you know, <laughs> it's just a different kind of bad. Um, but the point is, if you got out of line, you, you just throw the kid out of the class. Right. <laughs> you didn't have to work with them. And I learned in my second year, I had one student who was acting up. He's the only one who would act up in this particular way. First, I would get mad. And then I finally talked to him and he said, I'm bored. It's not hard enough. Cause like a couple of the kids really, really knew their English really well. Mm-hmm. So like you're getting these really mixed groups. They have 40 kids, 30 of them understand half of what you're saying. 
five of them understand none of what you're saying and five of them understand everything you're saying. So how do you teach that? You go for the middle, I guess, but that means the people at the top really like, and I started to involve them in my planning, you know, and I, and I realized that that was the case. And now that I teach adults and I don't teach English anymore, but I teach adults who are really experienced and I've been teaching adults for like 12 years now, not 12, 11 years now. I realized that like use the assets of the students you have in front of you. So now you teach at a college, which for, as you said, non-Canadians is the interregnum between high school and university. So who are the people you teach now? They usually they're like 17 or 18 when they start. um, And the average, like it's like, would say 17 to 20, maybe 22. Um, but you, every semester I get, I get in their thirties, people in their forties. I've had people, you know, fifties, sixties, people want to go back to school, especially, especially now, um, in the pandemic, a lot of people changing careers and needing to start, um, you know, really at the bottom, like if they can't just go straight to a university program, they need to have something in college in order to get the qualification for a particular university degree. So, yeah, we get those. Um, and whatever program they're taking, uh, let's say you want to specialize in, um, I don't know, even something like early childhood education. There, There's some college classes for that. So they, they'll come and they'll do a college degree first and they'll have to take an English class. They have to take there's four basic what we call uh, general education classes, which are like English, French, uh, physical education and humanities. So whatever degree they're taking they have to go through that department which is that's my department so um so yeah with so, the is one of the english one or the general yeah. education one yeah yeah okay um so i guess it's kind of similar to an associate's degree in the united states because in the united states you have to have finished high school but an associate's degree is what they tend to offer in a lot of community colleges um and it's like um you can use that. A lot of people go to community colleges so that they can get cheap credits knocked off more cheaply than going to a traditional university. Going oh, to community college. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'm not trying to explain. But it also depends college. on the college because we have colleges that are public and private. And I work for a private one and it is not, you know, it is actually probably cheaper to go to university than to go to my particular college. But if you're in a public college, it's practically free. So it, it, there's also a big discrepancy there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, because I think, I don't know, this field, man, because, I mean, I say this field like it's my field, because I still write about language, but it's not, it doesn't pay me. The only money I make from this field is when I talk about my research. Um, you know, I give talks and all that, you know, and to the book. But um, I guess it got to a point where, you know, I had, a stable job um, from 2013 to 16. I was the manager of uh, a department at a nonprofit, and I was in charge of the English classes and inexplicably the computer classes. <laughs> you know, nonprofits, you just do what they tell you to do, right? Because, like, when I applied for that job, it was – you know, they just like, they got some money and they were just mushing some things together. And they were like, half your job is going to be running these English classes and the other half is going to be teaching computers to senior citizens. I ended up really enjoying that part of it, but I didn't really have any experience in that part. And that was the part where they were actually more, they were scrutinizing me more on my ability to connect with senior citizens than on my um, ability to connect, because basically I had a master's. They were like, you can do the English part. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's funny because my job, you know, I think about transferable skills, which is what they say when you're trying to change jobs and all that, right? Is that like what I did at my job? I, I wouldn't have, did you ever see Slumdog Millionaire? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw it in Korea, right? Cause that's when it came out. Um, the whole, Conceit of that movie is that the specific things that have happened to him in his life made it so that he under he knew the answers before he was on the show, right? 
it's a very gimmicky movie, but I remember enjoying it in 2008. I haven't seen it since, and I probably shouldn't because it will ruin my retroactive enjoyment. <laughs> um, but anyway, it uh, my job now, which has absolutely nothing to do with teaching the language, um, I am responsible for sort of creating a curriculum for a bunch of classes like, clearly the classes already exist. They've been teaching these classes for years, but they didn't have a codified curriculum. They have a list of topics, but it wasn't placed in a curriculum. There wasn't any assessment or anything like that, right? And I'm not a big test person, but, like, you got to know if people know the stuff. So, um, and my job is to put a curriculum in and, like, massage it and change it and so forth. There's other things to it, but, and that's what I did at the, at the English job. Like, we had a bunch of English classes, but there's no curriculum. Yeah, and so nice. there's no progression, you know, and I had to put it in. And it was interesting that, like, I would never have expected that aspect of my job to recur in another job. You know, I just ran into, not ran into, you know, Internet ran into somebody who I haven't talked to in a while who's, you know, she's living that adjunct life. You know, I don't know if you all have adjuncts up there. What do they, they call them something else up there? You know, people who work in universities but aren't like tenured or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm similar to that. I mean, I'm, I work at a college. I'm not tenured. Um, there was, a, when I started, they had told me, oh, within four or five years, you'll probably be tenured. But then uh, the pandemic happened and um, everything was like literally pushed back. First, they told us like two years, three years. Now, I think it's like five or more. So, I don't know. There's like literally no possibility of me becoming tenured in sight right now. So I'm, I work like semester to semester with no real guarantee that I will get classes the following term. And if I don't get classes or if I decide to take a summer off, you know, God forbid, I'm not paid. I, I have to go on unemployment or, um, work. These are my options. I, you know, if I travel, I, I have nothing, like absolutely nothing. So it's like, I've been most summers I've been working because even well, if you travel for two weeks, it's it's a lot. You know, you get access to no money. And if you have a mortgage, um, that's just you can't you can't. Uh, or or man, it is, it, you have to pay your bills and, and the bills aren't going anywhere. And travel. It's one, you know. Yeah. Like, it's interesting because, like, I mean, I work year round because I don't have a regular education job. Um and, you know, people will be like, well, you have to work in the summer. Who cares? But um, it's – so that's – yeah, that's the same thing, right? Um, when I was working, I did the adjunct thing before I did that job. You know, before I did the job I just mentioned, the management of the education thing. I went to that job from the adjuncting thing. I did the adjunct thing for like a year. I was like, nope, never doing this again. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> – you know, because it was one of those things where, like, the hourly rate felt good. Yes. But, like, it was so unstable that it was just so stressful. And then you didn't know how many classes you were going to get when the semester came around. And, and how many you students could, you have in each class? Because you can have 10, and which is, it's it's pretty chill. Then you feel like the money's worth it. Or you could have 40, and then it's like, oh, my God, I'm getting the same money as if I had 10, Right. And you're doing four times the work. So it, it really, there's so many variables in adjunct, you know, in this kind of field. It's it's insane. It's a wonder yeah. that teachers survive. Well, they don't really, um, which is why I left. But, like, I think what's interesting is because I remember at that job, terrible, um, technically a university, but they were making shit up there. Like, I don't know about that place. Um, and they, I remember being in one room teaching one class, and the room could fit maybe 25 people. And at the beginning of each semester, you know, people would sign up. I don't have a problem if someone signed up on, like, the third day. And there was usually, like, a limit. Maybe it's the first two weeks or something like that. Every place has a different limit. The point is there is a limit. You expect that it could change. Somebody could leave in the first few weeks. This place would just say if someone had money and it was the middle of the semester, go to class, right? And... The sad thing is, usually they didn't actually have any money. They were getting loans, and this place didn't actually give them any qualifications. So they're just throwing their, or they're just throwing their money away. Um, and these were like new immigrants 
to New York who were basically being screwed by this school. And I felt, I mean, it's part of why I was like, I get the fuck out of here. Um, and but I just remember each, each class I go in, there's a new person there. We couldn't fit in the room. Like we literally, we literally couldn't fit in the room. And the worst thing was, now that's annoying, but there was also a room across the hall that was like, they had a class and there's like six people in there and it was a bigger room. And so I asked the administration, I was like, Hey, can we switch rooms? I asked the teacher first. Mm-hmm. I said, Hey, if I ask, if the administration okays it, could we switch? You don't have very many people. And they said, sure. I go to administration. They say, no, we can't change rooms. I'm like, but why? They're like, well, the policy is. I'm like, the policy is? The policy is you can't add people in the middle of the semester, but you do that. Right? You know, and I I just didn't understand. Because it's not even like it would make them more money to have, like, people in. Why would you squeeze them in? They're not going to enjoy themselves. Um, And, uh, you know, I ended up, like, I didn't. I was good at. I had a few good semesters there, and then I had a really bad semester because, like, the fact that I, you know, at that point I had graduated school, my master's, because I started there before I graduated, right? Um, And then I graduated, and I'm like, I got to do something better than this after my graduation. Like, I can't be over here, like, counting down exactly how many dollars I'm going to have each week, you know, and uh, trying to, to make sure that, like, I remember doing math in the hallway, based on how many hours I was going to work and the tax rate and how much I was going to have at the end of the week. Somehow I always managed to end up in the bar on the weekend. Like <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow I had, I always had enough money for that somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't always have money for groceries, but you know, I made it to the bar. It's because we found this really cheap bar and the bartenders liked us. So they always gave us like, you know, I just spent thirty dollars there, and we and we could get like ten drinks. I'm not saying I would have ten, but I just you know. So, you know, and I and then like, I would never take a cab home. I would always wait because the train and the bus is open all night. So we would. It's December now. If this was 2012, I'd have been in the bar till two, three in the morning, standing on the street corner waiting for the bus at three in the morning, and it's ten degrees outside because I don't have enough money for a taxi, right? When I should have just taken a taxi. It's so warm for December. <laughs> ten, ten, no, no, no. Ten, ten Fahrenheit. Um, oh, 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 oh. No, no, no. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that doesn't happen that often, but it happened last week. <laughs> so, you know, that's like last, you know, Friday, Friday it went from 48 Fahrenheit to 7 Fahrenheit here in the same day. That was weird. Didn't like that. Um, but anyway... I just, I really think part of the reason this field stays the same way, which is what I wrote in the book, is that, like, when you have to spend all of your time trying to get enough money to be stable, right, you don't have time to fight them. Yeah. You know, not just literally your own boss, because a lot of the time that's a bad idea, but I just mean, like, to fight for, you know, things across the field. Like, I think in a way, stepping out of the field but keeping one foot in it has allowed me, like, the field can't do anything to me. They can't fire me for language teaching because I'm not a language teacher. So I'm thinking, like, I didn't have any designs on challenging anything when I was working that job. And then when I got the next job and it was stable, didn't pay much, but it was stable, then I was just like, I'm so grateful for a disability that I'm not going to fight anything. And I was ready to just stay there and do that until I realized that they were never going to promote me. I got promoted once because they got some more money and basically they got enough money to hire someone to work in the department under me. So I got moved up, but I didn't really go anywhere. I was already in charge of the department. It's just somebody went under me. Um, and then it, never, it was never going to be like I was already in charge of the department. Where, where am I going to go from being in charge of the department? Like, so and, my, and I met my wife and we got married. And she was like, "You need to do something else, buddy." Uh, so I listened. And then the last job that I had, which people listening know, was not what I expected to be doing, but it ended up being the right bridge from that job to the job I have now. You never know what's going to happen because I remember back in 2012, maybe. Um, 
I used to participate in this thing called Teacher Talking Time, which was a group that we created from my master's program where we would get together and talk. So kind of obvious. Um, and I, my, my, the professor, the director of the master's program, who was kind of like, you know, sort of a mentor to me in some ways, she ended up writing one of my recommendations for my doc program. She kind of put me in charge of it. And so I would lead that all the time and we'd bring in like, what are the topics this time and so forth. And I, I led that until I got, um, my next, until, really until I got, um, started my doc program. So for like six years, I like led that. And, you know, everybody was an adjunct. Mm-hmm. The, we had this, um, conference thing every year that was called navigating an ELT career, right? We were trying to make it real practical for like, how do you function in this career? And this is one of the things that they would do, I remember, was they would put on the screen, they had put out a survey beforehand asking people what their salary was. And it's anonymous, right? And I remember talking to one person who also had a stable job. And her salary was the highest salary of anybody in the program. And it, it, it really wasn't very high. <laughs> and then, and it was like, yeah, and it was, it was a, and on this, on this, on the slideshow, it said, you can make up to, and it was her salary. And I was like, that's not, it's not really, don't know if that's what you really want to be putting up there. But on the other, and then like she was, and then it would be two panels. There'd be a panel for, for students or graduates, people, like how they were navigating their careers. And then there would be a panel for employers for them to uh, explain what they were looking for and so forth. And I remember this woman who I'm just telling you about who had a more stable job, she said that they paid their people without master's degrees this amount. And then people said, well, how much do you pay if you had a a master's degree? One extra dollar an hour. (laughs) Oh, that's it? (laughs) Yeah. Definitely not the case here. Here there's a major difference. That's not a regular public – that was a private – like, okay. you know, thing where they were, well, like a similar school to where I had been working, like a really like shady for-profit school. And they, yeah, it's kind of a place that keeps throwing extra people into the room, right? But a lot of people have to work in those places. There's so many ads for them. There's, they're all over the place. I mean, this is a giant city and it's similar to what you understand. I mean, New York's bigger than Montreal, but Montreal's big too. Uh, my everybody's looking, not unlike yeah. yours. That's what you mentioned. It's definitely for profit. Yeah. So they, um, there's tons of people who need help. They don't really need help. They really need help in the sense that the society needs to change to be more accepting of them. But they are told that there's something wrong with the way they communicate. And so they need help with that. And so there's so many schools. I remember like job ads I used to see. And it's just funny because now I make enough money and I don't think about it. I don't mean I make so much that I don't think about my life. I just mean I don't have to think about like where my meal is going to come from situation, right? But like seeing job ads like, you know, come work for us for like nine hours a week. Or I remember when I worked at that for-profit school, everybody was like, oh, you need some extra work? Here's where you can go, right? Oh, there's another school down the block. You can get a couple of classes over there, you know? And it was like, before people called it the gig economy, like language teachers have been in the gig economy for like 20 years. But teaching should not be a gig because that is not a good way to connect with students. (laughs) It's not good for the teachers. It's not good for the students. Frankly, it's not really good for the administrators either, but they have to tell themselves it's good for them. It's good for the owners. It's not actually good for the administrators either. So, because they're not, honestly, a lot of the administrators aren't making that much money either. Um, maybe the top, top people, but like the middle managers are not making that much money. Um, and I remember the school I worked at, the people who'd been working there a while told me they hadn't had a raise in six years. Um, and you know, everybody was on the hustle. It, you sort of breed in competition with your, your colleagues. 
you know, and if someone had to take a day off, you could sub for their class, you would get the money. So if you took time off, you were giving up money. I remember when there was Hurricane, Hurricane Sandy happened in 2012 here. Uh, in certain parts of the city, there was damage, but mostly it was just power was out, right? And uh, so the school, the subway was out, so I couldn't get to the school. The school was closed for a week. Well, that was a week of money I didn't have, <laughs> you know, and uh, so, you know, the... Um, I don't know. It's a stressful experience. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it's also like a big difference between teachers who go, like you said earlier, who go straight from, if you know you want to be a teacher when you're young and you, you, you go straight to the Bachelor of Education route and you start off way younger than I guess you and I were when we started teaching. And then there's teachers who don't really know what they want and they choose a different path and travel and then realize that is their passion. And once you realize something is your passion, it's, it's very hard like to, you don't really take the time to reflect on whether you're being treated fairly or not. You just love what you're doing because if I compare what I was doing prior to the experience in Korea, which was customer service in banks and such, like, I was so miserable. And even though my benefits were great, I had stability, I had hours, I had everything, I, you know, it took me like, I don't know how many years, like five years of teaching to make the same salary that I was making at the bank before, right? But I didn't care because I loved it so much that I didn't mind all the, you know, other sacrifices I had to make. I didn't have, I didn't take the time to reflect. It's only now that I'm like, well, I've been at the school for six years. I just got a raise, by the way, literally this year, six years later, just got a raise. So you, it's funny you said that six year thing. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, like now I'm finally making decent money. And I even got another side job, like working for the Ministry of Education, which is great. But it's like, I still don't have that proper stability where it's like, if I take the summer off, I'm on unemployment. And suddenly, like, it's like, I really can't do much. And that's, I feel like at my age, that shouldn't really be the case. And with like 14 years, like you said, 14 years of experience teaching, the only break I had was when I studied, you know, did my master uh, and bachelor of education, where I was still teaching, just, you know, unpaid. Um, and like, it's still no stability. Like, does stability happen in your 50s or what? Like, it, it's at this point, it's, I don't know, it's, it's such a, it's, it's sad that you, this, adjunct life and and but the but the ones who stay in it are just the ones I think that are the most passionate about what they're doing they truly love teaching they they don't want to do anything else I even when I look for jobs I'm like okay I gotta look for something else. I've got to look for and it's like there's just nothing that remotely interests me remote like just I don't know yeah it's, like it's I, interesting I, I guess I sort of gave up on it because once I was in the management part I knew that there were parts of my job that weren't teaching and I was able to be okay with that I don't like managing people I like managing projects though um so the, the last job was a mistake in the sense that but it wasn't a mistake because when I started it was great I just ended up with a bad manager after that the job was boring the boring is fine it's just that I had a bad manager so but like when I started, I had a good manager, but like the people's positions changed. Um, and then I had a different manager and, and she was bad. <laughs> she, was, she was a great person. She was a very good educator, but she was a bad manager. Um, which could happen at good jobs too. Like it could, right? Um, theoretically, yeah. there are people at my job now where I don't know if I'd want them to manage me, but that doesn't mean that I don't love working with them. They're just not, I'm just glad they're not my manager. You know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that the people who fall into the field, the way a lot of EFL teachers do, it, you know, it's very, it's a, it's a, it's a, the actual work can be so affirming that it's really hard to assess the way that your dignity is not being respected outside of the connection with people. Yeah, exactly. And, and then there's, there's a struggle because, especially since so many people go overseas when they're like 25, 26, when they've been doing stuff for a few years. That was more like you and not like me because I was, 
I was 21, so I didn't really do anything before that. But uh, most people don't go if they're if they're gonna go straight into teaching, they usually go straight into like a master's program or something, right? Whereas for me, I sat around for six months and I was like, well, gotta get out of here. <laughs> so and then I left, and I knew it was better than not working and sitting on my dad's couch. But I didn't have a a job to compare it to. I mean, I had some retail jobs, but like I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do long term, obviously. Um. I'm not saying retail people. I'm not criticizing you. Um, and I had to be careful with what I'm saying, you know. Um, Nor the banking people. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't for you, and that wasn't for me. You know, I'm also just not good at it. And I was good at teaching. Or I eventually figured out that I was good at teaching. There were things that I didn't know, such as how to teach the language. <laughs> but, I was, but I was pretty good at connecting with the students, you know, and, and making them feel seen. Um, which these are not words I would have used at the time because I didn't understand it. But like, I thought it was about having fun with them. So sometimes I would get too into the having fun thing and we didn't really learn anything. But like, you know, the, the fact is, to some extent, that kind of was my job because getting them, they only been using English in, 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 and I write about this in my book, in uncomfortable situations, like these extractive classes that are just like repeat. So English is that. English is what they see on the internet and like, Advertising this is, you know, in Korea, English is everywhere, but like it's not really used in, in like regular conversation. And this may have been because I know that uh, I w- at that school, which is fairly new, I was the first guest English teacher at that school. I was not the last. But so for many of these students, I was their first experience with someone coming in from overseas and just getting them into a place where, no, 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 you don't have to worry about, I'm not going to judge the way you talk, right? Like, just just, just, just talk to me um, was a valuable experience for them, I believe. However, I didn't know what I was doing, so I had to go back to school. <laughs> and, um, but like you say, you talk about the age thing, like, yeah, I think part of the problem is that, you know, Excluding the full party people, because there's some people who just stay overseas and just stay doing that. I see some of them on Facebook. We're not really Facebook friends anymore because I'm not at that part of my life. Every so often I get a little curious and I go back to my old Facebook albums and I do this thing where I click on people who are in, who are tagged in pictures to see what they're doing now. Um, and a lot of them are just like in Hong Kong, in Taiwan, you know, they're still doing, they're still doing the same. Yeah, but they're all like 40, you know, like this stuff was, it wasn't that cute when we were 25. It's really not cute when you're like 40. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, they, they may have settled down, also had family. Well, yeah, there. there's, there's, yeah, but yeah. not the people I'm seeing in the picture. Like, yes, yeah. I'm, I'm not really talking about that. You meet somebody, you have a kid, do what you're going to do, right? Um, I'm talking about people who are still like in the club. You oh. know? Yeah. You know, obviously things probably been different the last few years with COVID and all that, but I'm just saying, you, just just temperamentally in the club, whether or not they're physically in the club for the last two and a half years. Um, and I'm not trying to judge people who are doing that. I mean, I'm judging them a little bit, but, you know, uh, it lends itself to that. Like, you really, it's a crapshoot when you bring in a teacher overseas. Are they going to be there just for the party? Because I was honestly about the party and the fun when I got there. Like I said, I was 21. Um but the second year, I really pulled back. I still went out a lot, but I still I wanted to really do a good job. You know, I really wanted to. And the same thing when I came back to New York and I was working these weird jobs. I, I wanted to do like there were things I was doing that I was not happy with. I was in these place like, you know, a two hour commute. It's like a lot. <laughs> you know, like I'm leaving home at 630 and I don't have to teach until nine. Um and I spent more time commuting than I spent teaching because I was like my my classes from nine to twelve, and then I would go back home. I get home at like two thirty. It was nice to have the afternoon off, but considering I didn't have any money, what was the point of having the afternoon off? Recording <laughs> podcast? I don't know. Yeah, I could have. I, I I don't know what I would have said back then. Uh, it wouldn't have been very interesting, and I didn't. You know, there's a lot. I mean, who knows how interesting it is now for people, but um, wouldn't have had a whole lot to say that was very valuable at the time. Let's just put it that way. So, I don't know. Um, to sort of put a pin in it, you know, I hope that this is a, a com- for, the, for the listeners, I hope that this is a conversation that people find validating because there's 
although I'm no longer in this position because let's be clear, I gave up on it. Um, the, I don't want to, I don't want to paint my pretty objective career success as a, as a triumph over language teaching. It's, it's, it's a failure. I gave, I could not make ends meet. I could, I may, I was able to make ends meet by the end of it, but I wasn't able to put myself in a better position, which is to say I didn't have any savings. I didn't That's have, right. yeah. I didn't, no, you can't thrive, right? You're right. Just surviving. Surviving. Yeah. Yeah. And I was surviving, but I wasn't able to thrive. And so I gave up. And I still find I'm still sad about it, which is why I keep writing about language. <laughs> uh, but I think most of the people in the field, you know, exclude the party people and exclude the owners, right? Most people in the field are that. They're in your position, they're in the position I used to be in, you know, and that's why you have groups like um the Temple Workers Alliance online that you know, post about people who've been fired for like racist reasons and we do action and put pressure on we like I'm a member, but like they do actions and put pressure on schools and that sort of thing and really challenge the exploitative nature of the field. And like, not only that, like they can't see you, but like, you know, it's even worse for people who are black or people who are various things. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's exploitative of everyone, but it's worse even for those groups, you know, like people. Are you talking about the U.S. or does this group work in Canada too? No, no, the, the International Workers Alliance, whatever, they're everywhere. They're mostly, okay. they're originally UK, but I'm just saying that just, I'm just saying in the field generally, it's, it's even worse for people of color. Like it's exploitative of everybody, the, the field, but it's even worse for people of color. And I was saying they can't see you because the podcast people don't know what you look like. Um, <laughs> like the listeners, they don't know what you look like. Um, but I was just making that point. So, you know, I hope that your experience and story would be, is going to be valuable to people listening. Um, there should be a lot more solidarity in our field than there is because it's the only way it's going to get better. Yes. <laughs> lacking, I think, sadly. Because they put us, I mean, in the gig economy, you're just trying to get gigs. Yeah. And everything's seniority based in my school. So it's like if someone was hired literally a semester before you, they can take a class from you at any time, you know, down the line because they it's this competition. And you start to become friends with someone who's like hired around the same time as you because you're always like battling it out to see who will get the better classes. And it's just it's it's not fair like to do that because I've met great people. And every now and then, like I take a class from someone or someone takes a class from me and it's just. You know, it's not pleasant when you you start a weekend and you realize you just lost the class to someone higher than you. You know, like it's anyways, I could talk forever about this, but <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, I don't think it's going to change that much, unfortunately, unless people decide they actually want to listen to what I said in the book. <laughs>